Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast, a show where we dive into the business of minor league baseball. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Brandon Apter, worked in the industry of minor league baseball for nine years and decided to make a podcast out of it. So if you're not already subscribed to the show, it is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify as well, uh, anchor.fm too. And um, you can follow the show on Twitter at After Hours Pod. Catch up with all of the previous episodes that have aired. Uh, the vast majority of them are not necessarily time sensitive. So if you're interested in exploring the uh, industry of minor league baseball further past this episode and you haven't listened to all of them, please check out a couple of them and let me know what you think in the reviews section uh, on Apple. So I do appreciate everyone that's tuned in so far, and if you're here for the first time, welcome. In this episode, we are going to be talking to Rob Montepere of the Time Out Pros, which is a traveling entertainment group that uh, goes to different sports venues, minor league baseball, minor league hockey. Uh, they go to different venues to entertain the fans across the country uh, with different uh, performers and performing groups, including the Fur Circus, which is a traveling mascot group and a couple of other performers. So um, I'm going to speak to Rob about uh, his early careers uh, working with a few different teams, both in the minor leagues and major leagues. Uh, how his uh, concept of the first circus came to life and how it grew over the years to become now a, an entire entertainment company that uh, offers a top-notch fan experience. So without any further delay, here is my conversation with Rob Montepere of Timeout Pros. All right, everyone, welcome back into this episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. And right now I am joined by the founder and co-creator of the Fur Circus and Time Out Pros, Mr. Rob Montepere. Rob, thanks so much for taking time to hop on the show. It is truly my honor to be here, man. Thank you for uh, inviting me to come on and uh share our story a little bit. I'm uh, looking forward to our conversation. Yes, me as well. This this is a little bit different than than what I've done uh, with the first chunk of episodes. I'm primarily used to talking with teams and uh, learning different stories about people's rise through minor league baseball, but this is a little bit different because even though you worked for teams in the past, what you do now uh, is more helping teams draw f- fans to the ballpark. So uh, excited for our conversation as well. And I guess I'll just start right off with, you know, the the majority of, of your sports career starting off was spent uh, in mascot coordinating or actually being a mascot. You know, a lot of people start off in sales. Uh, so this is a little bit different than the traditional path some people might consider. Um, so what's the story behind how you wanted or landed into that aspect of the uh, sports industry? Yeah, you know, it just made me think of all the people that, um, as you were saying that, that helped me get to um, experience the things that I've gotten to experience in this career, and like really thankful for a lot of people that kind of laid the path for me. But um, I worked uh, in high school, actually, I was a part of a, a marketing association for students called DECA. And my senior year in high school, I had the opportunity to uh, take the two classes I needed to graduate and then spend the rest of my time interning hmm. uh, in a in a career field that I wanted to pursue. And so 
at that time, the uh, now Atlanta Gladiators came to the area, and I uh, struck up a conversation with their uh, now Stanley Cup champion general manager Steve Chapman and a guy <laughs> named and a guy named Jim Hall, who's meant the world to me. Oh yes, and um, and I ended up interning with the Gladiators um, and and working with them for for several seasons. And as part of my internship, just like any good, solid internship that you get in minor league sports, you do all the things that everybody doesn't want to do. And one of those things was them kind of handing the mascot costume over to me and saying, run with it. And so I really kind of got started by being thrown to the wolves. and um, Or thrown and to I the did, lions, really, or right? Thrown yeah, to because the lions, their uh, mascot is Maximus the, the lion. Yeah. And so um, through trial by fire and uh, reaching out to other quote unquote industry professionals at the time and building a network of people and scanning the internet bands to learn as much as I could. That's kind of how I got into this mess. But at the same time, the interesting part of the story is, is at the same time I was also refereeing professional hockey oh. and I was the, the gladiators are in the ECHL and I was refereeing in the Southern professional hockey league. And so while working in hockey, I was also refereeing professional hockey and there was a time when one Saturday I was at a mascot appearance with um, a guy named Miles Stowes. And then the next weekend, um, that week I signed a contract with the ECHL to be a linesman. And that next weekend, that Saturday, I was breaking up one of his fights. <laughs> so um, I've seen sports from a lot of different angles and a yeah. lot of really interesting perspectives. But it all started because I struck up a conversation with these guys that were you know, starting a team in Gwinnett and, um, thanks be to God, they, they let me help them. And, um, it really laid the path work and the groundwork for kind of going after these career goals that, um, I thought I wanted to achieve and obtain and, and, and live out. And so that's how it started. Now, yeah, no, I, I think we can both agree that being a mascot isn't necessarily the most uh, glorious or luxurious part of working in sports, but it's rewarding, um, albeit sweaty at the same time, uh, for the most part. Uh, but uh, for for you starting off, was was that a point too where you know, you were working as a lineman and also a mascot for a hockey team? Did you also had to have to skate in the costume on the ice at that point too? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of the uh, first times skating in the costume, um, it was it was uh, you know introduction to one of the uh, the games, uh, big night, lots of people in the crowd. And uh, a spotlight was shined on me as I was introduced out on the ice. And I ended up skating like right into uh, Chris Durno, one of our players. <laughs> and I just, I just couldn't see him because of the reflection of the spotlight into the costume. Uh. And, um, you know, I, the lesson learned there was a don't skate into the players, but B like learning how to operate within the confines of the costume. A lot of people will say, the terminology like the costume's too big or I can't see in it or all those things that people say about being inside of a costume. But it was learning how to use all that stuff to your strength instead mm -hmm. of your weakness. And um, so I, I would say it was learning my place in any situation, whether it was an op a grand opening for a sponsorship or uh, a major promo in game. Like what is my place in this piece or this activation right. and how do I add to it and not take away from it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember I did, uh, it was like a game day position with the gladiators for two seasons. And, uh, one, one of the years I got to be a part of their, uh, in-game bug race, 
which involves a spider and two other bugs that go race around the ice during one of the uh, period intermissions. So I can't imagine, you know, skating is one thing, but being out there with like fuzzy shoes on the ice is a completely other thing. So I can just imagine like not being able to see out there in general, but having having to do it with skates nonetheless is is it's a pretty difficult task, but probably a good way to start off when it comes to navigating the overall, um, you know, functions of a mascot costume. Yeah. And, you know, as I progressed in my career, I had the opportunity to work in, you know, in environments that had bigger budgets because they were higher, higher levels and had the, you know, the luxury of a custom made mascot costume and the benefits of that. Um, and, you know, what that means to the ability to perform and bring that brand to life through their mascot character. And that's one thing I would suggest to people that are listening is, you know, so often with the nine million things that we have going on working in sports, especially in minor league sports, where you have a title, but ultimately you do everything under the sun associated with that title, is to really stop and think about like what you're doing with that mascot costume, who you're putting in it, and what's their role. Because sometimes the worst thing that you can do is put just a random person in it and just say, go out there because you're bringing that brand to life that you've put so much equity and yeah. value in. Think about how you sell that to the sponsors and their involvement and the price of tickets that the ticket holders, you know, spend their hard earned money on. So you really got to be like particular on, on what you're doing to, to increase the not only the reach of your brand, but the visibility of your brand in the right way. Yeah, I think there, are, I think there are people too that get in there and and they're pretty robotic and they just don't really know how to you know act or or do things with when they're in the mascot costume. And I think that's the roadblock that I ran into uh, at, at different points throughout my career is that people would wonder why me as like a promotions manager or director of marketing was the one in the costume. But it's because like I knew I could go in there and like put on a good show and be energetic rather than somebody, you know, forcing somebody to do it and them, you know, not really enjoying the experience or knowing how to engage with the people around you. Yeah, exactly. I've seen so many of those examples, not only in sports, but also like in the, from the corporate perspective and, in um, and I, and I think it, it, it's really important to take a step back and see, like, how do we bring this brand to life? Because ultimately, like, if franchises are successful, they're going to be around for a while. Yeah. And that costume, that character can also be around for a while. It's different than a player that comes and goes or even, you know, like Tom Brady is eventually going to retire from the New England Patriots. But they still have that brand identity that lives on forever. Yeah. So you have this beautiful opportunity to, like, really do something impactful and powerful uh, through bringing this brand to life and the, and the idea of a character program. So uh, it's really important stuff, although some of it comes from, you know, being creative on the spot, but there's yeah. a lot of experience that, that lends it to thinking on your feet like that. But um, that would be one big suggestion is always be very thoughtful in, in, in what you're doing with that character. Sometimes not putting somebody in there because you don't, have anybody is a better thing than putting some random person in there yeah. that has no idea what they're doing. Yeah, I think my go-tos were the nose pick, the uh, armpit hair, you know, waving the armpit hair, and the hip gyrations. You know, those were three go-tos that you knew would get anybody laughing. Yeah, my favorite is to pick uh, in, in, in costume because some of this stuff you do in costume, you realize that you'd be arrested and banned from the ballpark <laughs> if you did this in real life. But yep. I love to pick things out of people's hair in costume and pretend like I'm eating it. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, like 
smelling the ushers and just random things like that. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. You know, and a lot of the stuff that I get now, I get from my kids and the way they react to things. Yeah. Incorporating that into. Watch after this uh, podcast, people are going to start being uh, a little more uh, cautious about what mascots are doing around ballparks now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so. so to to this point, obviously, we we've kind of ruined that. If there are any kids listening, sorry, there is a human underneath that fur. Um, uh, we we mentioned a couple of things, but what would you say to this point in your career? What are some of the most challenging and most rewarding parts of getting to perform as a mascot? You know, my favorite. Um, I learned that where I was, my strengths and my weaknesses were right. You know, pretty quick in that. Um, somebody taught me that we need to think of a mascot character as a conductor um, of, a, of a crowd and not necessarily just entertainment. And so one of the best things that I love to my favorite things to do in costume is to utilize the character to get everybody involved in what's going on in the game. So when we're in a ballpark or an arena, we're working with our clients and and, and, and getting their 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 uh, ticket holders involved in the game, their fans involved in the game. One of my favorite things to do is jump on a dugout and start something that seems extremely unassuming that turns into getting everybody in the stadium involved in what we're doing. Right. I absolutely love that. Recognizing that you might be doing something to a person in front of you on the dugout, but realizing that everybody is watching you. And if you're right. doing a great job, you know, drawn into that piece of entertainment. So I love being a conductor to the crowd. That is one of my favorite things to do, whether it's chanting or it's getting them in involved in some kind of bit of comedy or uh, reacting to things that we're doing, uh, recognizing that we have like a skit within the skit or a, re- an, um, uh, a, a double reaction to something that you're doing with people. Once you realize that you have more than just one set of eyes watching you, you start doing things in a lot of different ways so that you can entertain those people, even when you're not even looking at them. Right. So I love to be able to do that stuff and then carry that on through the entire game. So that like later on in, you know, innings down the later on in the game or, or, you know, down, down the road at the end of the game, you can still tap into that, that, uh, that large reaction from a different side of the ballpark and get right. people involved. In it. Um, any, any horror stories from your early years as a mascot that you feel like sharing? Oh my gosh, man. Every t- sometimes it's like they're all horror stories in some, <laughs> some aspect. Um, you know, one of the things I didn't mention that I, I really love, and this is going to sound super cliche, but it meant a lot more to me when I started having my own kids. Um, we're, mascots are given um, a lot of opportunity to do things, as I said, that you wouldn't normally get to do as a normal person. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a burden. And sometimes it's an extreme, absolute honor and privilege. Right. You know, um, meeting military people. Uh, getting to do things with like organizations that make our communities better. And my favorite thing, one of the, the, the top things that was the um, like such an honor, but also a very difficult thing to, to do was to visit children's hospitals. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we took into our company was this idea of getting into the community with the teams that we serve. But when you are invited into a children's hospital and your whole purpose there is to put smiles on people's faces that deal with adversity in ways that I will never understand. Right. Um, that is pretty amazing that you are put in that position to just brighten somebody's day. And, yeah. and there's a lot of power in that uh, ability to make somebody smile and to take away whatever that burden is that they're going through or their kid is going through uh, for that temporary moment that you're in there. 
Um, there's a lot to be said about that. And the understanding that that is an honor and a privilege uh, is, is just really a beautiful thing. So um, as, as cliche as it sounds, I, in the bottom of my heart, I mean that. To be able to go into those environments and just hang out, play games, you know, take pictures, yeah. get people to smile. Uh, there's something really special there. But there's also been some, some horror stories. Um, we've had some uh, malfunctions with equipment. Uh, we've had uh, bits and pieces of the costume fall off. Uh, we've been, you know, pushed off of things with fans that have probably enjoyed a beverage or two too many. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's been some 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 really crazy stories in that in that sense. But then there's also like these great stories that I just shared about yeah. being able to put smiles on people's faces and um, and doing that. One of the you know of all only my fault um, is you know my costume decided to break down while I was in it one night. And my feet fell off. And the way that the feet were attached to the costume is like my feet were off of the costume, but everything was still attached. Right. And I couldn't necessarily walk. And so <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how do I get off of the field and without the ability to really walk because the way the feet are attached to the costume and it's kind of like a onesie outfit. Right. Um, so that was a very interesting thing, trying to roll off the field and play that off. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so many stories like that where you find yourselves in these situations. You realize like, okay, thank God nobody can see my face because this is extremely embarrassing. But at the same token, I'm going to use this costume to my ability because I'm supposed to look a little silly out here. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there are a couple I know that come to mind for me. Uh, there was one at a game in Frederick where I was not actually the performer, but we were doing our Taco Bell sauce race. Uh, and it was like a Wednesday, so there weren't a whole lot of people there. Uh, and I got taken out by the mascot and my left foot, um, kind of hit the, the bottom part of the mascot who's coyote, who's a coyote. So he has a pretty big snout. So I kind of, uh, dislodged the, the helmet inside and, and the head completely fell off and bounced That's on the awesome. ground a few times. Um, luckily our mascot performer at the time made a quick recovery to where I don't think too many people were scarred for life, but that was something. And then there was another time, I'm not sure if you've worked with a organization at all called the Challenger Little League. It's pretty much a little league that, uh, you, you know, they they are kids with autism and different disabilities yeah, that, that get to play um that get to play baseball. So in Frederick, yep. we had a <clears throat> annual thing, you know, we went to their events and uh, at those events, you, you get a lot of, you know, different reactions from people because you're with people that, you know, are autistic and everything like that. And I do remember one time uh, somebody had wanted to meet Coyote for quite some time. And I finally <laughs> got to meet him at towards the end of my appearance, which was about two hours. So I was already sweating uh, and stuff like that. So I went in for the hug and they got scared and just, kind of immediately uh, need me in in the balls. So <laughs> it was one of those unexpected things. I ended up getting a hug, which was nice afterwards, but it was was not without that pain that I got that rewarding part of things. You know, that's funny. It reminds me of a story. Uh, we, did, uh, we had a game with a client of ours in Kentucky, and they took us to a uh, memory care facility. <coughs> Excuse me. They took us to a memory care facility where – the whole point was to just go and um, interact with the residents of the facility. Mm -hmm. And we were in there and we were like, one of our guys can play piano. So he's like in an elephant costume playing the piano and we're dancing and just having a good time. Like one of the other guys is dancing with this lady and all of a sudden, like you can smell something, you know, very like 
somebody clearly did something in their pants <laughs> and we couldn't get the attention of the staff that worked there to intervene and help us. And so what ended up happening is we just started kind of like passing her off to the, the guys that I might, you know, the crew that I work with. So everybody ended up like dancing with this lady and trying to get away, but she wouldn't like let us go and she wouldn't, you know, funny. sit down or whatever. She was just very into the moment. So yeah. it's like a story that like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I think you always do have the stories when you go to schools that aren't that great of the, the kids that try to figure out that there's a person in there, um, yep. that that's never great. And then there was one other time before we move on. I remember one of my first internships with the Wilmington Blue Rocks in Delaware. I was their mascot, Rocky Blue Winkle, who was a moose. Uh, so mm-hmm. to start off, like you, you had to go through doors walking sideways. Otherwise your yeah. antlers would get caught. Um, but one of the first appearances that I did was a, a parade downtown and the vision in that back backup mascot costume was just terrible so um you know i got to hold like a newborn child without being able to see much but towards the end of this parade i was walking next to some ma- bagel mascot that was for a local bagel shop and after we finished the parade route and you know i had a little bit of a ways to walk back to the van that i was in um and this bagel guy just up and takes his costume off and starts walking around you know with a giant bagel you know, around his arm, you know, just trying to get me to talk. And I'm just like, dude, what the hell are you doing? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, man, that's so funny. Yeah. There's a lot of different stories where uh, you find yourself in these situations and, uh, like you don't break mascot protocol. That's not something. Well, and sometimes you do, you know what, in, in, in the, in the, um, in the position that I have now with this company that, um, I've helped create with some, some really close friends of mine, uh, there's some scenarios where we've broken character with somebody that we've like done some kind of uh, skit with or something like that in the right. stands, and you end up developing these relationships with people. There's some clients that we've worked with now for several, several, several years, and every year we go back, we see some of the same people. And I'm not just talking about staff; I'm talking about fans. And you end up developing relationships with these people, and, and that you end up going out to dinner with, or grabbing a cup of coffee with, or um, you know, just catching up with, and you end up developing friendships, which I think is a really cool byproduct of working in this industry. And, um, and I'm really grateful for those opportunities. Yeah. I always thought those mascot birthdays were always a fun thing, uh, early in my career where I'd go and there'd be 10 or 11 other mascots. And then you'd go to the break room and there would be, you know, 10 or 11 headless mascots, just chatting up, talking about, um, shooting shop about, uh, mascot stories. So that was, yeah, that's, that's um and that's really a good segue in how to how our company got started first circus and now timeout pros is you know we were here in atlanta um we're a very close-knit group we joke and say it's the fraternity um, <laughs> but we would be doing mascot appearances together and you end up developing friendships and you know they're they're, they're your colleagues and at the same time they're doing the same thing for the different teams in the area and we just started getting creative with know what would it look like if we did something like this and how would that be impactful for teams and what would that look like for the fans and the community it was at those appearances over and over and over again that this idea was born to come up with a concept that teams could utilize to um, be a different offering for their fans during their their seasons that would maybe potentially draw more people into the seats and make sure that everybody in the arena has an awesome time right. and do it without the restrictions of being a team. So there's things that we can do that teams can't because we're not a team, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, well, you're a fur team how, kind of. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
So that's kind of how that got started was at those events that you're talking about where you're with other mascots and you're with people that you can talk shop with or you're at conventions with them or conferences and things like that. Right. So you you talk about how the concept kind of came to life in your head and 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 how um you know these these events of of being with other mascots help out with that there. So so after you guys kind of laid the groundwork, how how long did it take before uh, it got off the ground and what was kind of the point where you guys kind of knew that okay, like we have something here. Well, you know, because everyone was so busy with their own teams as their first priority, uh, it really was a three-year process in figuring out what we were going to offer, how we were going to offer it, and what was it going to look like. And so um, we spent a lot of – it wasn't like we were just creating one mascot character. We were creating this brand that had three, char- four characters associated with it. And so when you also have several mascots building a costume, that's a really bad situation because everyone has their, like, their take on something and their personal desires of what something should look like. And so – we, um, we used a great mascot fabricator builder out of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. But the person that really helped us bring our idea to reality from illustration is a guy named Tom Sapp, who I would say is the godfather of the mascot industry when it comes to illustrations and bringing these brands to life. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom has a gift in artistry that um, I've never seen before, and his creative mindset is just unbelievable. So we were able to sit with Tom and basically share, like, not only our concept of what a circus gone bad looks like, but also what we wanted to do with the characters. And he was able to translate that into what the characters looked like mm-hmm. and how we would bring the artwork from artwork to built costume. And, um, and when we started sitting down with Tom and bringing this idea to re- reality, things started coming together. And, and that's when we started to really see this idea and concept come to reality and ultimately fruition into a, a business. And um, that was exciting being on the, on the, in the beginning stages of that and the late nights and the discussions over stupid things like, should the eyes move or should they be stationary? Right. Should the fabric be long or short? You know, <laughs> was um, there ever, was there ever a conversation to, to see if any of them would talk? Because I know there was that mascot Reggie that, that yeah. toured around a bit that, uh, it looked kind of neat with its little koosh ball as a nose, uh, but the yeah. talking part of it always was a little off-putting for me. So the way that we gave voice to our characters is we implemented a uh, a ringmaster, and, and the storyline goes that he thinks he has the best circus, the greatest, the greatest show, so to speak, and the three characters. Is this where we start breaking out in uh, Greatest Showman singing? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I wish every time we go to a uh, every time we go to a new venue, we always tell them that our ringmaster can sing the national anthem and watch our guy that does a ringmaster squirm when he thinks that they're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but our ringmaster kind of gives voice to that um, that 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 form of communication. Um, we really like the mystique of the nonverbal communication, yeah. so we just stuck with that. Um, so you guys do performances in in different kinds of venues, arenas, stadiums, uh, but because this is a minor league baseball podcast, we'll stick to that. So talk about what goes into the preparation for a typical performance for, for the fur circus as part of a baseball game. Sure. And and hopefully the word typical is, 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 um, quote unquote, I I was using air quotes, obviously people Uh, can't see that. Can't see that. Yeah. It's Um, a Dr. Evil thing. Typical. (laughs) Typical day. We never, 
we never want a typical performance because one of the reasons we got into this was so that not every single night was the same, that our skits were different, that uh, what we were doing was different, and that it did not become repetitive. Yeah, you wanted so it to be have, entertaining. We, thank you very much. Yes, we did. And so one of the things that we would say is typical is we want to have a turnkey entertainment solution for people that really engages the fans when they come into the ballpark at the front gates to when they leave the ballpark. And then we fill it in in between those two bookends. So typically a first circus performance looks like about 30 minutes before first pitch, our characters start taking over the stadium. And so we have some guys that go up to the front entrance or the main gate and interact with people there. We have guys on the field interacting with players and, and, and bridging the gap between the players and the fans, because through our characters, we can do that through a mascot costume. You can do that. And so we start entertaining people and developing a rapport with the fans before the game starts. And then there's activations that happen throughout the game that we may or may not be a part of. We may be, you know, uh, doing our featured skits, um, you know, three or four of those a game or integrating ourselves into things that teams already have that we can, again, balance the where can we interject ourselves in a, in a beneficial way rather than take away things so the message doesn't get across. Mm-hmm. And then our characters are out in the, in, the con- or in the stands during the game in between our skits, messing around and doing what, what we can do to interact with the fans while the game is going on. You know, we know that if a family of four goes to a ballpark for a game, particularly in minor league baseball, that about one member of that family member family is there to see the baseball game. So we can entertain those three other people that don't necessarily care about the the game itself, but are there for the experience and we're part of that experience. So our hope and desire is that we're there on a night when that family of four is there, that's, not come to a game before and we help them have such a great experience that they come back, you know, well after we've gone, they're coming back later on that season and and become regular, you know, paying customers for that client that we're working with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're there to build memories. We're there to make a big impact and, um, and and we're there to to make sure fans have a great experience and, and help our clients and, and making the entertainment for that night, the absolute best that it can be. We've learned a lot along the way. Um, we used to think that we could that coming in and doing like seven featured skits yeah. was a really good thing. I remember and when you guys it. did a performance when I was in Gwinnett, you were just like, yeah, we like to take up like four or five half innings and we're just like, how's two sound? Right, exactly. <laughs> but what we've, what we've learned is that we can get the same value and impact sometimes by not doing skits or doing things that are that we know we're going to do that are not within the confines of a 90 second, um, you know, inning break or something like that. So that allows our clients to still fulfill their sponsorship obligations. And it doesn't take away from the fact that they're bringing in an entertainment group, which you want to maximize because it's something that you're investing in for that night. So we have found some really cool creative ways to integrate ourselves into theme nights, into uh, special promotions, into all kinds of things, group, special groups that are going on. So a lot of what we do for a game happens well before we come to an venue mm-hmm. and having conversations with our our, um, our contact with the client and finding out what promotions are going on that night. What, what are some big things that you guys as a team are focusing on that we can maximize too as well? Right. Um, you know, over the years, uh, the, your 
First Circuit's concept really came off the ground, grew a little bit. You guys learned how you can uh, integrate yourselves into different things, as you said. But, you know, as as the years have gone by, this concept has now grown into what you call your company, the Time Out Pros, which is more or less uh, a business that helps bring entertainment to venues and fans around the country, uh, baseball, hockey, what have you. Um, and it's not just the first circus. You guys have other performers on your roster as well. So how'd that expansion happen and the, the whole name change, kind of the name change? And tell us a little bit about what other performers are on the uh, Time Out Pros roster. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, as we were getting into this, we realized that there was uh, you know, other need that, that, that teams had that we couldn't necessarily accommodate through the brand of first circus, but we had the ability and skill set to accommodate in other ways. And so um, the mascot industry is a brotherhood and the people that are in costume um, behind the scenes, there's a lot, it's a close knit group of people. And through our friendships there, we, um, we, we utilize somebody that's, that's pretty prolific in social media right now. In fact, he just inked the deal with Fortnite to do all their dancing. And that's in Mr. Intermission, who mm-hmm. is our, dancing groundskeeper, uh, dancing usher, something that we call shock and awe entertainment. And it was, um, it's taking him to, uh, taking the idea of a hype man and bringing that into a ballpark or a hockey rink or, you know, any kind of stadium environment. And so in order to best tell the story of what we have to offer, we couldn't just use first circus because then there was some confusion. So we said, well, we need to have a brand name for these other entertainment entities but we also need to have kind of like an overarching thing so that we can be seen as a tool for teams to utilize throughout the year. So timeout pros really kind of resonated with us because that's what we're there to do is we're there to like maximize those timeouts and the energy right. that's put into them. And then through these different brands, depending on the scenario, and what clients are looking for, we can um, sort of set up a one-stop shop uh, experience for them so that we can partner with them throughout the year beyond just one event. And um, so so that's why we did that. And, and, you know, part of that was testing out the waters, too, because in the same token of expansion, just like a restaurant, you don't want to open up a second location and your first location start to falter because you're expanding. And so we've just been very cognizant of how we do that and uh, making sure that we partner with the right kind of teams and, and make sure that we're growing at the, at the right rate and not trying to push something and getting too um, big for our britches. Yeah, and I know speaking from personal experience, those traveling acts are are effective. You know, it's one of those things where depending on the demographic or the city that you're in, uh, it's not necessarily always going to bring, you know, hundreds and hundreds of fans out to the ballpark to see one thing. Um, but what some people don't understand is that added value, you know, people coming to the ballpark, season ticket holders uh, that, that come to every every game, you know, that added value of having an entertainment act and adding a little spice to that game. Um, also, it is super important for all of the patrons that come through the gates. Yeah, I, you know, I think particularly in the minor professional level, we are about building memories. And any way that we can do that, obviously that's going to translate into fans engaging in what you have to offer in the form of ticket sales and merchandise and all mm-hmm. that. But we have to realize like the experience that happens at the stadium is, is really what we have to go off of. And so anytime that we can enhance that experience, well, that's what, that's where we feel like our bread and butter is, is enhancing that experience. So we love it when clients say, Hey, like we've got 
know, we have a relationship with the Biloxi Shuckers, and we just did their All Star game because they needed to make that experience uh, next level from a normal game night because it was a showcase of not just the baseball, but what Biloxi does day in and right. day out. And so we were able to come in and partner with them and really take what they hoped to accomplish with their all-star game showcase and, 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 and achieve it and, and incorporate media and community relations and all those kinds of things to make that experience an impactful one for for not just the league that they're in, but for the community that worked so hard to get that opportunity to have that baseball team there. Right. Um, and, and before I let you go, you know, we talked about um, all of the different options that there are in timeout pros, whether it's Mr. Intermission, uh, the first circus, what have you, um, you know, if there's a team listening that's interested, where can they get more information on how to contact you? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, they can go to our website, timeoutpros.com, and all of our contact information is there. They can follow First Circus on Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Um, they can simply email us, too. But all of our information is on our website at timeoutpros.com. All right. Well, Rob, uh, again, I appreciate you uh, taking some time to jump on the show, and uh, maybe I'll run into you at a uh, random ballpark in the in the near future. Yeah, man. You know, one of the things that I love about being able to do what we do is the relationships that we get to build with people. And I'm grateful for the relationship that you and I have had to establish, gotten to establish yeah. and carry on through the years. So yeah, I think really dates back to that. 2013 in Louisville. Yeah. So there you go. We won't talk about what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We like to uh, so. keep things PG here on the App yes. Hours podcast. Um, <laughs> but thanks again, Rob. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, talk again soon. All right. Thank you very much.